This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Connor. We're going to talk about Road Work, a novel by Richard Bachman, a.k.a. Stephen King. I think this is 81, published, or 80? 81, I think, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to say it was written in in 73, but I I would guess it was shortly (laughs) thereafter. Um, 73 was a difficult year for (laughs) for him, apparently. Um, But I want to also... um, ask about genre because uh paul called this book a quotidian i had to look that up and i still don't really know what it means i I think that'd be a vocab word you would have known i'm surprised yeah i i mean i i got a lot of vocab words but that's not one in my repertoire um although repertoire is in my repertoire quotidian (laughs) means what fancy way of saying daily or ordinary quotidian Mm -hmm. events are everyday details of life so I, I'm assuming you were like, uh, you started with chapter three, <laughs> skipped the part where he goes to the gun store, and um, he's um, just Jesse, like driving Jesse, around. In 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 America, people do go to gun stores and do that's buy true. Guns. That is true. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so this is a quotidian, it's, it's not quotidian, uh, that quotidian, quotidian novel. Quotidian by Canadian standards, but they are by a lot of American standards. <laughs> 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 it's just an everyday novel where you get dynamite and you blow up your house like everyone does. <laughs> um, uh, so what would, what would you classify the genre for this, Paul? Um, contemporary fiction. It's not, it's not science fiction. It's not fantasy. Yes, he's talking to his dead son in his head, but, and, but there's no indication that there's any supernatural element. The son's answers are basically him talking to himself. That's not... That's not science fiction or fantasy at all. It's basically it's basically contemporary drama, and mm. frankly, I don't agree. I, oh, oh, you don't agree? No, I want to see. Character. I want to see what other people have to say too, because I'm I'm interested in this weird genre. Um, uh, so, Connor, how much King have you read? And is this your first Bachman? Um, this might be my first Bachman. I've read a decent amount of King, probably like. 12 or 13 of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not as familiar with Bachman um, or that sort of mode of King. So I would have said that this was drama, mm-hmm. but probably leading towards like psychological drama, mm-hmm. I suppose, like mostly concerning his internal um, psychological state. Mm-hmm. Jim, you've read a yeah, lot there's of. A lot of uh, oh, there's a lot of King novels that I think qualify as. As or they're classified as horror that are totally mundane. I mean, they don't have supernatural fantasy sci-fi elements. Yeah, there's no supernatural there's, elements in here. There's there's a bunch of stories in like Night Shift, which I was just rereading, which are just about like you know serial killers or mob bosses, just all the the kind of you know these kind of marginal aspects of society that I think really interest King. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. I, I, I wouldn't just make it uh, contemporary fiction just because it does lack kind of uh, specifically supernatural elements. 
Yeah, it, 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 when I, I think I, it's, it fits somewhere into. I, I think it does fit somewhere in the horror genre. I was thinking mm-hmm. about. Um, it, would you classify? Away, yeah. Could you classify it as um, as what uh, um, Henry James wrote? <laughs> you know, yeah. his his mimetic fiction where there's ladies who want to get married and there's a guy who might be cheating on his wife. Uh, you know. Look kind of like Philip K. Dick's uh, non-SF work. Well, I see it feeding into kind of that tradition of um, uh, I'm not sure the way you call it, not a confessional novel, but basically it's a story of um, someone's grapples with their own sanity, which can go back to Kafka, mm. uh, Polanski's Repulsion, um, a few sort of Graham Greene novels mm. sort of where it's somebody, you know... Um, you know, struggling with real life and with themselves, and the two get horribly tangled. Um, it, it's kind of, kind of, sort of like it, I suppose it's horror in the same way as some people say. You know, like Taxi Driver is like a, a social mm-hmm. horror movie, and uh, certainly I think horror is an interesting genre because it's kind of it, it can be very broad, and you don't necessarily need something supernatural, and you don't necessarily need to be a blood and gore. It's about anything that unsettles. And uh, the kind of those fringes of the genre I find very interesting. Yes, me too. Uh, but King's always sort of wanted to. Um, I mean, he always says, you know, he sits down and he has an idea, and he just runs with it, and he doesn't always know where something's going to go. And you know, um, this one has this one has a destination, though, for sure. He's putting himself oh, yes, on that definitely. path, and he knows where it's going. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's kind of for this, it's kind of. Um, I was interested. I, I've got the first edition paperback of this as the original introduction. And that's uh, quite enlightening. And it's kind of where he talks about. Because uh, the audio w- version we had has got the, the later mm-hmm. introduction. And the first one, he, he says, well, basically, I c- c- couldn't really tell you why I wanted to do release some books as Richard Backman. It wasn't because. The publishers liked the idea because they felt it was over-saturating the market, but I just wanted people to read these books. He said, I don't really have a good reason why I did it. It's a good job I didn't kill anybody, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's the White Bachman mm. essay you're talking about? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I I was... Uh, I didn't know anything about this book other than I had the art, the original art for the uh, first edition, uh, without the, you know, like just a painting. That's usually like what inspires me to read something. As a, I say, ooh, that's a nice piece of art. Now it makes me want to read the book and can share this art with people. After I put it up as a show, you know, <laughs> kind of a weird way of approaching things. But we'd done, uh, I think, two other Bachman books at least. Yeah, two others. Um, and I like those. We did the Running Man. Running Man. And then Evan and I did the Rage. Um, which oh, right. is I, I, the Stoop right, school shooting that one that he self banned, and I want to talk about that that a bit more because um, we got self banning in again. Except uh, Seuss is dead, so it's an estate banning, or uh, the corporation that is the result of the estate banning, right? Self banning, which is oh, interesting because yeah. yeah. I think this book is utterly bannable too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I thought a lot about that actually. Right, this is almost worse than oh yeah in many ways because it's it's much more common i think yeah. uh, except for the exploding the house part but death by cop a suicide by cop is hugely popular um 
and uh, swatting people uh, was not a thing back then. There, are, there is no when the van comes at the end. It's not a SWAT van. It's a news van, right? Mm. But um, things have progressed <laughs> or degenerated or you know gone down the road from where they were. But um, I think that this is um, it's an existential novel, right? It's a it's a a story of a and it's a kind of a rare. A rare um, subgenre. There's a book called uh, "The Man in Full," I think, by um, he's the guy who wrote the book about the the right stuff. Who wrote the right stuff? I can't remember. Anyways, mm-hmm. you know, it got turned into a movie. Right stuff. I was just looking up. Uh, oh, Tom Wolf. Concept. Tom Wolf. Jesse. Where, Tom Wolf. You mentioned. What did you say, Tom Paul? Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. Yeah. So yeah, so um, I I thought that the the man in full is uh, an existentialist novel. It's basically some guy. It's like it's like he did mushrooms or something right before the start of the book, um, and like he's sort of reexamining his his life, um, and whether you go down the route of you know I'm going to crash that new uh, midlife crisis car I bought, or I'm going to get over it. Um, is uh, it's a, a alternative path for the story, but th- that's a book like that. There's another um, by Mario Puzo that I read that I really liked, um, which is fun. It's funny because it's it's got a overlay of um, uh, magic, even though there is no magic in the story. The narrator tells us he's a magician, and he talks about how. His life is magical in a certain way. I'm trying to remember the name of the title, but basically, he's having a midlife crisis. He decides to go to Las Vegas, which happens in this story, right? Um, and then uh, he has a series of adventures there. Although the adventures are sort of what we would just call like everyday life sort of things, you know, getting a job and meeting a girl and having a friend and smoking cigarettes, <laughs> and. Um, and, uh, you know, it sort of ends the same way it begins. Uh, come with me. I am the master of magic. I'll tell you my story. Um, but uh, I immediately, and I tweeted you all, I don't know if you recognize the film I was tweeting from. Falling Down, yes. Um, yes. When I saw that I movie. Thinking, I was thinking about that. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was listening to this. In 1993, I, I got it on Laserdisc, I guess. <laughs> I was a big Laserdisc guy. And I. I th- I really thought it was an interesting film. I didn't really know what it, why it existed or what it was about. But when I was rewatching it, um, it, it's not an adaptation of this book. But there's so many things that are the same. One of the things that's so similar is he actually attacks the road. Um, at one point, he gets a uh, rocket launcher uh, from a. He goes to a gun sh- a gun store. Um, and instead of buying guns, which he's already picked up, he he kills the owner of the gun store and takes a rocket launcher. He's got like a bunch of Nazi paraphernalia or something in his house. And he's he's the premise of that movie is he's, quote unquote, just trying to get home. Um, and we see him at the beginning of the film sitting in his car in a traffic jam while there's road work ahead. And he like is just so stressed out from sitting in the car, we think, all the people around him, that he just abandons his car and walks off uh, across Los Angeles just trying to get home. That's his quote, right? And 
as he crosses Los Angeles, he encounters many, many people. Um, and he has um, incidents with all of them. And it's a, it's a lot of um, sort of, it's a very American sort of story in that, you know, it's immigrants of this kind and there's uh, gang members of Hispanics and there's some blacks and there's uh, his mother-in-law um, and his wife and his kid. And then there's a parallel story. It's like they took this novel main character and, and broke him into two and made a good guy and a bad guy. Um, where Robert Duvall is the police officer who's was in that same traffic jam, and it's his last day on the job as a robbery detective. And he, too, has a parallel story in that his kid has just died, um, and his wife is sort of coming apart at the seams in the way that our character is coming apart at the seams. And they come you know, together at the end. But the, the major takeaway from the film is you see this guy in a white shirt and a black tie who's we find out later has quit his job or been fired from his quote unquote defense job and his license plate is defense and actually actually how his name is credited in the film is defense um he builds missiles for the united states um and his first confrontation in the film is with a korean uh uh shop owner he just wants change for the phone and the shop owner wants to charge him a certain amount he doesn't like that so it it's kind of like a robbery of the store. And he says at one point, do you know how much money the United States has given to Korea? And he says, no. He says, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a black comedy, right? But what's so interesting is he literally eventually confronts the road, the guys doing the construction on the road, and it's the same ending. I didn't know that at the time I, I was watching the movie. It's the same ending here. Ultimately, the reason the road is being made we're left to infer is that the government needs to spend the money or they don't get to have it next year right and so there is like a parallel existential angst but the enemy here is not you know soviet russia although they're called out right and it's not uh immigrants and it's not any of the th normal excuses the enemy is like capitalism and existential angst right mm. The, this guy, we know, I, I know why he did all the things that he did, don't you? You all read the book. You know why he did all the things that he did and how it all went wrong. I think King makes mm -hmm. it incredibly plain. Well, yeah. why, why don't you explicate it for the audience? Uh, okay, well, I, um, because he fucked up. He thought that if he... Uh, it, this is also called out in that uh, movie. Um, he, he fucked up. He thought that if he just follows the American dream, that everything will be good. But mm. things go wrong, right? Your kid dies from, quote-unquote, comes over and over and over and over again in the book. The size of a walnut, right? A brain tumor the size of a, wal a walnut. And it didn't, it didn't spread to the surface. It spread in and so it couldn't be cut out. And so, 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 yeah, his son died and... And, and and then there was, of course, there was the miscarriage, and his life is a miscarriage. That's I mean, right. I mean, I mean that's I mean, right. I mean that that's I mean that's that's the metaphor made plain. His life is a miscarriage, and it's not his fault. Or an abortion, right? I mean, it, I think he, you're really onto something, Jesse, with this existentialism because yeah. this, this anguish, right? This idea, like, like 
I mean, there's this concept in existentialism of like the terror of our own freedom, right? This mm-hmm. this idea that I could do something tomorrow that will mess up my life or will end my life, right? Yep. That that's like the burden of freedom, right? But it's a terrible burden. The other side to that is like even given whatever our conditions are, there's a space for freedom, right? So you got like Camus and the the stranger, right, fighting mm-hmm. freedom even at the prison cell. Um. But yeah, so he finds freedom in a way. I I think um, I interpreted this story a little bit differently. I, uh, I sort of thought that this was a bit more about his inability to adapt to changing circumstances in his own life. Like, I, I do agree with um, uh, the sort of suburban angst, but... Um, I think like this this book and also falling down are both examples of something that um, I don't know whether you guys have also seen other like people in real life who have the same sort of mentality or experience to these characters in the mm-hmm. book where they have a sort of uh, breakdown in this nope. way, not as extreme as <laughs> as these two examples, but just but sort of they're on the same kind of um, or not on the same track, but they are feeling the same way in that they're really dissatisfied with their life. And it's often, it seems to be like in this story, the main character is like things were better before. Um, like he has that big rant um, to uh, the guy who works for him, who spilled the beans mm-hmm. um, to his, to the executive. Um, he's sort of going through this rant about things used to be so much better. People used to care so much more. Are you saying he's a MAGA? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Absolutely. That was, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, but, but, but I, there, I, he's not alone, right? This is, this is a, this is why this phenomena is so widespread. This is probably why King, you know, like in the, when you read rage, you say, wow, um, now I understand why school shootings happen. It's not exactly like that because everyone's slightly different. But when, you know, he's banning the book and it's, there's a couple of kids who who have this book at home and said, I want to act this out. That's literally what happens at the end, right? He says uh, <laughs> to the cops, you shot my brother. <laughs> right? It's like he's acting <laughs> yeah. out the television and, um, you know, the cigarettes that he's always smoking. Um and he calls them cancer sticks. Um, the other cancer in this book is not, you know, from the kid's brain. It's the cancer of him and television. Television is, a, you know, under an, under an assault in here. Um, I think <laughs> in the same way that Ray Bradbury, he, it, right? he literally smashes the TV. But more importantly, like, it, it, it was the core of his love relationship with his wife. And then when they get it, it's not good mm. right well, the, the television becomes kind of it's a symbol first of them working together in a marriage oh yeah but Thank after you. the sun dies it's the glue that holds them together it says you know mary's way of coping was she got into craft she got into afternoon soap operas which I think is very telling and, and they keep and, watching merv griffin over and over again they keep mentioning up oh, Merv griffin was on merv griffin was on and then Merv Griffin was not on when it's, when he's not watching television. So I just like, I I barely remembered Merv Griffin from my youth. It's like 
this is suddenly suddenly it's like he seems to be the the mediator of this family holding them together is to watch Merv Griffin. Well, there are fewer choices right back then for TV, and you know, uh, my, when I was a kid, my mom didn't want us to have TV. She thought TV was evil, um, and she's right; it is evil. Right? It's full of. I mean, especially today, it's super evil. All all advertising is evil. It's like propaganda. The news is all evil. It's all propaganda. Um, and then there's TV shows that are all propaganda. All these cop shows that are trying to convince you. Like even even that movie uh, Falling Down, which I think is pretty um, pretty subversive for what it's it's doing. Um, ultimately, the cop is the hero, and we're seeing it from the cop point of view. And really, that's not you know reality. Reality is is much more complex, and it's it, it it sitting sitting down and watching TV is not the solution to almost any problem you can possibly imagine. Right? It's it's um, it's like um, smoking. <laughs> it's something people do, um, and uh, I think if you're watching TV alone, that's really sad. Um, you can mediate it right by criticizing it um and i think that it's great when we see the viewpoint character uh some p- reviewer called her a pixie girl uh, i don't think that's exactly right i don't think that's fully I, I, charitable but when what what's the phrase it's a manic dream pixie girl what, mm-hmm. it, it, whatever it, 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 stereotype they're going for i don't think it's a perfect analogy because She's on her own uh, life course, and he's trying to fix that. He's uh, also seeing that other guy, the junior laundry guy, on his own life course, and he's trying to fix his, right? He's trying to say, no, no, you don't understand. Don't go down this path. It's a trap. Ask me how I know. (laughs) And then what does she want to watch? She wants to watch Star Trek because Star Trek is different, right? It isn't mm-hmm. just wagon train. <laughs> it isn't just wagon train to the stars. It's got something else. That's the way you sell it to the executives. It isn't just a, you know, a Lauren Green advertising his new cop show. It's something different. And so it's not that television is wholly 100% evil and that's the message of this story. Kind of like read a Ray Bradbury novel <laughs> or a short story and it's 100% evil, yes. Um, it's more like it's dangerous. It's like cigarettes and it's addictive and, uh, you can get trapped in it together, but they end up watching things separately. And whenever, I mean, <laughs> what's the, the lowest point in the film, in the film, in the movie or in the book here is him masturbating in front of the TV watching Merv Griffin. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a good, you know. <laughs> Good way <No>. to be. <laughs> That's pretty low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why eating a TV dinner and watching mm. Merv Griffin and masturbating? It's like he doesn't he, even he think that's TV good. Dinners, which just reinforces the whole TV as the center of their lives. TV dinner, TV dinner. And and I mean, and it, it ultimate, ultimately, right? Uh, so the laundry. Uh, this is uh, this is obviously uh, Evan would have caught it because he mentioned it to me. I think the Mangler. Right, it's a call. Mm, yeah. Shout out to it's another story and another idea. Yeah. Lovecraft's literally shouted out in here. Uh, Cthulhu Mythos shouted out um, yeah. that um, 
that job at the laundry was a real job, right? He literally worked at uh, an industrial laundry. So a lot of the stuff that's in this happened to him and in, in, he wasn't the age of the protagonist. But I hear that this is his first adult protagonist also, not just a teenager. So in The Long Walk, he's uh, a kid, right? Um, and in this, he's an adult. I think... Um, I think he's a young man, maybe in his 20s, uh, in The Running Man. Maybe close to 30, but he's not... Like, this guy, I figure he's, he's in his mid-40s, at least, right? Um, he's been at... this was written? I can't find on the Wikipedia when this was written. <sighs> um, it's I'm one of his first four books, right? King's, King's mother died. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, he'd written this, I think, in his mid-20s, from what I can work out. I mean, I read, I read this when it came out in the eighties as a teenager, and uh, with the folly of youth, I thought the protagonist was like quite an old guy. He was in his forties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Now reading it, being Ancient. fifty myself, I'm, um, young guy. I'm amazed a twenty-year-old can get in the mind of someone middle-aged. Pretty impressive. Middle-aged yeah. gripes so well. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. By the way, that that novel I was thinking of by Mario Puzo is called Fools Die. A very, very good book. And um, I'm not I'm normally a um, Puzo guy or anything like that. But every once in a while, I, I hear about these these weird books that don't... They seem to be, a, you know, the mainstream bestseller genre, which is mimetic fiction, I guess. Or, you know, Tom Clancy or something like that. Uh, but they're just existential books. And I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about, like, what is the Soviet version of this book? <laughs> because it's a, you know, the American dream is at the core and the target of, of this. That's the problem, right? Is that he bought into it. He thought, I will advance in this career at this industrial laundry. And he does. And he reveres it, right? His former boss, that r- story he tells about how he gave him money to go back to school and then he pays back the loan and the loan is $20 and he gave him a watch that cost $70 or something. And this is why when the laundry is going to be taken apart and, and the, and the, he confronts the overboss, right? The corporation that owns his corporation, Mm -hmm. uh, that, those scenes where he says, I'm disappointed in you, Dawes. And he's like, no, you're not. And he says, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> and he says, no, you're not. And when you don't make money this year, uh, it won't hurt the company. It might hurt your uh, chances of advancement, but probably not. Right? Because it's just a, a decimal place on the spreadsheet. Right? And so, in a sense, this is the guy... He's the only one who can see reality for what it is in this book. And the closest maybe any other character in this book has to him is the gangster. Right? Yeah, that's a very strange relationship he has with the gangster. And the gangster himself says, it's just kind of confusing that this weird relationship they have. The dork and, and the fruitcake. Yeah. You call me a dork. Doofus, stupid. There's also the line: "It's like, why do I like a guy who I can't understand?" That's right. Yeah. Mm. 
and yet he does, and yet he and yet he helps him get the the explosives at the end. I mean, he comes around to his point of view, in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, yes. Early on in this book, I found it very quotidian and very. It got better, especially once once we start actually moving towards the ending, and I realized, oh, we're going to go suicide by cop. Okay, then I then I got a little more engaged. But for the long stretches of this book, I didn't like it at all. I will, I will. I'll admit because I generally read a lot more genre fiction than non-genre fiction, and I couldn't see a way to get into this book that I actually could care. It's like this was like okay, it was, it was set during the gas crisis, and this guy has a sucky life, and things have gone wrong for him. And why am I listening to this again? Besides, I mean, if, if this was for a podcast, I would have like, oh, okay, I'll I'll read a different Stephen King instead. This is not working for me. I think there's there's I'm glad I pressed for it. There's but. something there's something interesting. I, I I heard a really great. Uh, well, it wasn't great. It 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 was great because Ted Chang was in it, but uh, there was an Ezra Klein interview, I think for Vox or New York Times or something like that, with Ted Chang and. The questions were bad, uh, generally, and, you know, he had a lot of bad stuff. Ezra Klein's not, you know, the smartest guy I want to listen to, but he did, it was smart enough to get Ted Chang on, and Ted Chang had lots of interesting things to say, but one of the things he said that I thought was really interesting, he gave a sort of a good definition of why, why fantasy and science fiction are different from each other, and why some science fiction feels like fantasy and most fantasy doesn't feel I, I'm over interpreting what he said, but doesn't feel like science fiction is he was saying, um, uh, science fiction has the potential to, um, not be a metaphor. It can be literal. So when you read Kim Stanley Robinson, he used this as an example, there's no metaphor there. When he talks about, uh, terraforming Mars, it isn't some spiritual revision. It isn't some getting over a divorce, <laughs> right? He's literally talking about terraforming Mars. On the other hand, when you go to Mars and there's uh, aliens there and they're red-skinned and they live in a desert and you round them up and you put them uh, and you take their land, it's a metaphor for the United States and, and you know, stealing land from the Indians. That's what it is, right? Especially if it's American fiction from the 1950s that's what it is it's just it's it's literal metaphor it's no uh thing like that so here we have a character who is in an existential crisis caused by a combination of factors which are themselves like true right there was a an oil crisis an energy crisis um the car lot Right, that is that the gangster runs. He's he talks about you know how he can sell the Vegas, but he can't sell the uh, the big cars, the Cadillacs anymore. And everybody's supposed to ration. The government's saying you should ration. And there's a great sequence in here about the being. I think it's right at the beginning about being a trained dog. It's not that I object to being a dog. It's that I object to be a trained. Right, you do this now. You do this then, right? The Vietnam War is in the background of this. The energy crisis. And what are they doing? They're building more roads for more cars (laughs) that can't, that don't even need to be done, right? It's, And yet, we would think of this today as a good thing. It's a stimulus, right? It's infrastructure. So anytime 
the government does something and it's telling people this is what we're going to do and this is a good thing, there's going to be resistance. But sometimes that's correct and sometimes it's incorrect for individuals, right? And most of the time we can't see it because it doesn't affect us in the same way it it affects other people. And so I think the fact that his house is going to be demolished is only part of the problem. The fact that his business is being demolished, that's part of the problem. His life with his wife has been demolished, right? And he's he's not saying, yeah, I'm going to go along with this anymore. He's like that dog that the that the uh, the uh, the bitch gangster. the gangster yeah. talks about right the one that mm-hmm. that seemed very nice and never would bite anybody and then does it's it's very instinctually awesome so i i was like i was like what is paul talking about what was the what was this uh daily ordinary i i guess yeah i mean technically that is but it's not my uh thank god it's not what i'm in right now but that headspace is totally uh it's the same headspace that that we have for the the serial not the serial killer the school shooter kid right evan he's in that yeah. same i'm fuck you i'm not doing what you're saying i'm not uh, accepting it he's defiant up here i bring up network and i'm mad as hell i'm not going to take it anymore mm-hmm. Mm. And, and the network is about from the same time as I recall, 1973, 1974. Mm. Yeah, it is around the same time. I've been in there. Network so, a lot rereading this, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the location of this book is really interesting. If you've ever seen those charts of like when wages flattened in America, it's always mm-hmm. like the mid 70s, right? Stagflation. Mm-hmm. Period of yeah. stagflation, right? Yeah, the, I remember. Where the, where, where the great boom of the New Deal and the World War Two just sort of it just sort of flattened out. It just kind of sort of blah, like yeah, a malaise, you might say. Just sort of became blah. <laughs> it's been my entire life, right? It's just, it's just blah, right? Stock market's going crazy, but you know the underlying economy. Yeah, notice just, notice there's no talk about investment properties here. Yeah. We're all pre all of that. This is all um, you know new cars in the garage and. Uh, going on vacation and you know buying that new TV, it's uh, it it is very much of its time. I think it's a an it's amazing. Um, like it, it starts uh, was October seventy three and ends in January. January, right? So yeah. it's a short window, and he's he, he, there's that uh, some reviewer on YouTube pointed out the. The great line. I I really like it when Philip K. Dick does that. He does a book review of his own book. <laughs> Here he says, um, "Some terrible author has planned out my life. He's put me on yeah. this path, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, fuck him <laughs> because he almost breaks the fourth wall. He does. He's mm. very close. He he gets up right up to that point and doesn't quite do it." But but that's what makes it not. I mean, uh, you know, there's lots of shout outs to uh, to other fiction authors, right? You know, uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft is specifically. Yeah. He, but uh, in high school, he was in the Poe Society. I didn't get the spelling on that, but I'm pretty sure it's P O E. Yeah. 
Uh, did anybody see? Was it literally P.O.E.? I didn't see the text, so yeah. I assumed I it was. Up the text if, I, I'm nine, you know, 99% sure that's what it is. Yeah. Um, it fits. I mean, I, I, I was also, I, I just started doing the show notes for William Wilson by Poe. And, uh, I mean, that's an amazing work. And I talked in that show, I talked about, uh, how it's, it's connected to, to Poe, uh, to Lovecraft's, um, the outsider. Yeah. It's definitely POE mm. Poe society. I had a feeling, mm-hmm. right. Um, and Poe is, there's a, there's a Harlan Ellison reference as well. If anyone spoke which one, that. which one was that? It's when um, um, the uh, corporate lawyer comes to see him, mm-hmm. and he said, "I wanted to punch that TikTok man and see the the, the coils come out of his face." Wow! And that's, of course, a reference to yeah. Repent Harlequin said TikTok man mm-hmm. by uh-huh. Harlan Ellison, which is a um, a dystopian future where everyone's time is regulated mm-hmm. and literally, <laughs> you know, everything is charted and you actually have like a, a Logan's run cell cardio plate, which uh, will stop your life when society says you're no longer useful. And uh, the Harlequin oh, was the, he's the Harlequin in this book, right? He's trying to be anyway. Yes. Yeah. You see, mm. see, yeah. But, but in heart, but in replying to Harlequin, the TikTok man, in, in the end, the TikTok man himself is, Infected by the Harlequin, as I recall, because mm. he winds up being late for uh, yeah. late for lunch. Mm. But yeah, but in this story, in in the end, in the end, the road, the road, the roads must roll. There we go. High, nice timeline reference for you. And, and and things things just go on. I I was kind of I kind of annoyed. This was kind of like a fictional city. I kept trying to figure out where it is. It's somewhere in New England, because seven eighty four suggests. Midwest. Pretty sure it's but, Midwest. No, well, I thought I it was the, just west of like, Maine, like, wherever. Like Chicago was on the way, right? Well, because if you because thinking of the interstate highway system, seven eighty four would be a spur of interstate eighty four, which is in, more eastern. So it's that's more New England. Chicago, it's like Ohio or Indiana or somewhere there. I, I got the impression this was more New more New England, like a stand. It says Midwest uh, on the Wikipedia, Midwestern unnamed city. Um, I definitely Chicago it, is definitely mentioned where, like, they get the rounds from Chicago. Mm-hmm. On the way, when he's with the hitchhiker, there's some mention of Chicago, mm-hmm. and like the headquarters of the company, I think, are in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That, 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 yeah, that maybe I was just keeping Stephen yeah. King, and I immediately thought New England and. My brain stayed there with regards to the evidence. He, he he names a lot of nearby places and how far away things are for, you know, just like the other thing that's interesting, like there's so, so many themes that he, he, or motifs or whatever, you know, if you were doing an analysis, which I'm not doing, uh, you could pick it up. But one of them was interesting was the electricity costs. Um, you know, it's going to be higher because we're at the end of the, of the line. And then him, Doing those deliberate uh, fuck yous, right? So if if this was a 2020 novel uh, written in the in 2021 um, with uh, a space of 10 years, so it comes out in 2030, um, we could predict all the things that this guy would be doing, right? He'd be running around without a mask. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be um, he'd be deliberately coughing on people and. Right, and the reason, although it's interesting, because his his um, his anger is not at human beings generally, it's at, it's almost like 
I mean, it's also a very Catholic book. I thought that was really interesting. Isn't is King Catholic? Is that right? Or raised Catholic? Uh, or? I don't know if he's Catholic. I don't he, think so. Because he, he, go for it. He somehow digs Catholics. Like I think, like some of his most memorable characters are Catholics. But all those. Uh, I mean, he's lots. This, that's something I wanted to talk about. Uh, with this King, book, King was raised he's Methodist. Got a, like the fallen Catholic, mm-hmm. the fallen priest. Yep. Is a theme that comes oh, the street preacher is great in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a something we haven't mentioned yet, but that becomes like that's a there's a Salem's Lot character who's like a defeated priest, like he's defeated by the vampire, right? right. But he shows up again in Wolves of the Kala, which is one of the Dark Tower novels, as a true fall, like a fallen priest. He, he it's like we hear the rest of his story in that in that novel, and he has a lot in common with this this. This fall, this this kind of fallen priest, in that he kind of goes to work with the poor directly, and then he does all. The, I, I love his story about going to the society ladies' parties where they only have one <laughs> child, not the yeah. rabble of six, and and then he tells about the horror stories of these girls having to stick their dicks in people's mouths and boys being picked up by pedophiles and oh it's horrible and he puts on this show and then he takes that money and he uses it to help people like by driving driving uh people on drugs home from new year's eve parties right he's literally trying to heal the world but he has his reins of power are very small whereas our narrator viewpoint character is basically he's saying fuck this shit. Right. He he he's looking for an excuse not to kill himself and the and the street preacher can't really give him one. He says your body's going to rot. I can't tell you the, about the soul because obviously I can't lie to you. I don't know. So he's really he's like thrashing around trying to help himself. He tries not to lie to people, but yeah, I mean, this yeah, is... Yeah, that sounds really familiar. I can't remember all the novels where this comes up, but it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, this this type of character is very, very common. You look at the cover of the book, the original uh, paperback, and you see this guy standing with a gun in his belt and his uh, rifle in his, in his hand. He's looking competent. Um, I would have assumed, uh, maybe I did assume, I don't know, that he's the cop. Right? He's the competent one there. But really, he's not competent at all. Right? He's thrashing yeah. around, trying to find meaning, uh, set, sets himself on a bunch of paths that are dangerous and bad for him, for his wife, who seems, she seems Works to. The company? Uh, I, not really. Right? Uh- I mean, it, it, he 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 inconvenienced some people, but uh, all the all the side characters seem to sort of reinforce his like the guy named Jack Daniels, right? Um, his death, uh, all all of the things that happen seem to just reinforce the point that he's making. There's nobody who's who's saying don't do this. That's genuine in their you know like even the wife she seems better off without him. She's going to go back to school. She's going to move on with her life. And 
But well, that's a good point because then the the gangster who basically gives him the green light at the end, yeah, is he thinks it's it's a more honest character. Yeah, he but he he operates in a in, outside the system in a way that nobody else is willing to do. Well, I find things about this book is it's about that turning point of where the closure of the laundry is kind of a shift between. Uh, ordinary run businesses to the modern corporate system. Right. And uh, a quote I saw by some futurologist a while ago that kept playing to my reading this is saying, we've already created the perfect artificial uh, simulated life form that's hostile to humanity. <laughs> and that is the corporation. <laughs> yeah. The corporation. Mm. Yeah, I, I think Charlie Strauss has made that point to some of the stuff. They had, corporations are basically alien life forms, which are... Which are which we are kind of parasites with it. Ted Chang said the same thing in that interview. Mm. <laughs> yep, that we don't. They, I think I think the art of the interview title is uh, Ted Chang's not worried about AI. <laughs> he says, you know, <laughs> we don't need to worry about AI. What we need to worry about is these big evil corporations that are insidious and everywhere, controlling everything, <laughs> and much well, more grinding. The way that corporation seems to work, right, is it's a bunch of individuals who are all self-interested. And what this character, Bart, is really, um, in, uh, what he's really hung up on is that people didn't used to be as, or well, in his story, people mm-hmm. didn't used to be as self-interested. They were looking at the bigger picture and looking at the long term and not just what was good for them in the very next step. This but is I think, like... Uh, yeah, go how for a corporation, it. Well, how a corporation works, right, is because it's, like, um, it's like all these little uh, actors um, who are interested in um, their own agenda, which is to get a little bit more for themselves, I suppose. And then the whole thing somehow works like a big amoeba or alien life form, or however you would call it, and operates in some sort of mindless fashion that continually progresses and propagates itself. Um, So uh, there's like a shift, I suppose, from some sort of a direction in the older form of business uh, where it was a family business, right, run by individuals to now it's being a mindless business that's not really run by anybody. Hmm. Yeah, I want to, like echo this i i used to i'm a big audiobook guy you guys know um i used to sell a lot of audiobooks and i would buy them from the manufacturers this before audible was a thing um and i would see like them try out different things over the years and one of one of the my favorites was a company called listen for pleasure turned into uh started as music for pleasure listen for pleasure then they became uh, dirk and hayes and then they became dh audio and uh, now they're, they don't exist anymore. They started off as sort of a small business in Canada, somewhere in Ontario, um, getting a couple of cassette, two cassette novels read by famous movie stars and actors and really good performers. And they developed a line. They started doing four cassettes, and then they came up with this great idea called paperback audio which is a single cassette short stories and uh over the years you know they changed and tried different things and went in different directions 
Um, but then they, at one point, they, they decide to make the company go public. And the reason you do this is to generate more money, to bring in more money so you can expand, right? That's it, it. It's also a way of selling your company, but that's usually the explanation is you make public shares available so that you can make more money by getting some capital to, you know, build a new warehouse or a new factory or whatever. So they did this and almost immediately started doing all sorts of terrible mistakes. Like they started producing a lot of content that I couldn't sell um, and that generally still doesn't sell. And they changed formats, they changed the name, and then the company went out of business. Right? <laughs> as soon as it was out of the hands of some person who said, I like this, I think this is good. And it became, we're buying up whole categories of, of titles uh, and genres of titles because we're going to make lots of money from that. Um, it's it, it just the company went out of business. And this happens again and again. You've got a small company that's, you know, trying to do well. And I understand why they need to do this, right? I understand that there's lots of different competition and you either grow or you collapse, right? But ultimately... It, it it's a it's it's out of the hands of care. So in the book here, nobody really loves laundry. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't love laundry. What you can love is clean sheets on your bed. But if you're in a hotel, you don't love the sheets on your bed. You like that they're clean. You don't love the sheets, and you don't care about how they got clean or how much it cost. The only thing you care about is the sheets are clean and they're on the bed. So the places there, you know, the restaurants, the mom and pop restaurants that they're doing the uh, table spreads for and the bed spreads for the hotels, right? They want their product on time and clean. They want to show up. This is sort of the, uh, the technical reasons, excuses as to why this new plant is a, in Waterford or wherever is a bad idea. Right? Is it's too far away? It's going to cut down our time. Ah, but the new road's going to make it speed up. We're going to be right. So the efficiencies, the gains and efficiencies are going to help us. But ultimately, the reason he was so invested in the company is because it was his family. Right? That boss took an interest in him, cared about him, and uh, going back to that movie I mentioned, um, Falling Down. The cop is retiring, and it's his last day, right? <laughs> sort of a bunch of tropes. It's his last day, and his his son died um, of a brain tumor or whatever it was. Oh, no, it was his inf sudden infant death syndrome, right? Or no, it was his daughter. That's right. There's a bunch of daughter themes throughout. And uh, the boss gives him a, comes into the office and says, um, how's the family? <laughs> How are the kids? And... Uh, he says, uh, we don't have any kids. He says, eh, God damn these people. They, I, I was briefed. Right? <laughs> he doesn't know that the guy doesn't have any kids. He said, well, we, we did have one and he died. And, and he says, I never liked you. <laughs> he says to the retiring Robert Duvall, um, cause you, you never swear. Um, the whole point of that scene is to show that he's a corporate climber. He's like the boss in the corporation that owns the laundry and a bunch of other industries. He, do he doesn't really care about what's happening. It's all sort of a formal relationship. 
when the cops knock on his door and say, you need to fill out this form, sir. We're very happy to help you find your new home. It's because they don't want to hassle. And he even says that when he breaks them down when that coffee scene, right? He says, uh, here's your coffee. I hope you don't mind it's instant. I'm drinking alcohol and I'll give you this and we'll do that. But he's, he wants them to admit it. That's, that's sort of why he's sort of doing through all of this. He wants them to admit that he's not being, you know, that they're gaslighting him and everyone, mm. right? That this capitalist horror system that they've somehow fallen into is what it, he thinks it is. Bullshit. He asked the executive, um, I think like in their last conversation, he's like, I just want to know, do you really care? Right. <laughs> the executive is like, no. Actually, ultimately, yeah, he do- dodges and dives, but ultimately, no, I don't care. Mm. And, and, you know, it's like uh, when you get cancer and you go to the doctor you never met this guy before. He's never met you before. And he he looks at the the numbers and he says, yep, yeah, I'm very sorry to tell you. Are you really sorry, though, or is this something you do every day? Well, you know, ultimately, I can't care that much, <laughs> he says to you, because if I did, I'd feel bad all the time. So after after talking to you and telling you, you know, you, your prognosis, I'm going to go home and have sex with my wife and eat my tea for dinner. Um, have a good night. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. Wow, painful, right? So it, he's he's sort of he's he's invested heavily in in the American dream. <laughs> he put all his shares in the American dream, and now there's stagflation, and uh, the dividends are not paying. So uh, I, I was saying to Evan. Um, mm-hmm. What was the uh, author who's the most American writer? I was, when, when was that last week? We were saying Heinlein was. Heinlein was the most American writer. Stephen King's giving him a good run for his money here in this book. I mean, that's not ultimately what I, th- you know, most of his books are probably about. No, I think like Heinlein is is more in a in an ideological sense, maybe the most American writer, but. King is a run for his money because he's getting the nitty gritty of yes. like, characters and experiences of these, you know, these very subtle things. Very subtle. Uh, I, this is um, very like if it if he wasn't such a popular author, I think he'd be like uh, the darling of of uh, scholars, you know, because this is masterfully done. It's uh, almost like it's it's all it's all instinctual. Um, yeah. Somebody, somebody, uh, go for it. I was going to say, Paul, you said that you found it a bit of a slog, and I've got to agree with you. Well, I've got to sort of, sort of agree with you, but I also think, like in this book, I really noticed how masterful King is. King is with the internal dialogue mm. and the fact that the story continues to move, even when it doesn't necessarily feel like there are big plot points happening mm-hmm. he is just going day to day and going through his life generally but it Time does feel passing. like it has yeah, yeah it feels like it has a forward momentum yeah um, or or more like i think more i thought more of this i was following on as almost like a doom clock because we kind of know based on the cover and the theme this is going to end badly it's almost like 
so the little so the clock is winding down towards that inevitability and for a while there it's just it's like the middle of the slog and it's just like the, the Tuesday afternoon that never ends and then 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 once he starts to getting the explosive when he gets the explosive things start picking up fast so it's almost like an acceleration through the yeah. plot towards towards the end which I did appreciate but that slog that's that slog despaired me for a while which is when Jesse saw my tweet about this being quote the Dean <laughs> but then that then I started feeling better as things started picking up I, I think maybe I did any of you read the 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 book or just listen to the audio just the audio just to the audio because towards the end yeah. of the book, it's not in the audio book, but it's in the the text. Is there's re- literally this minus twenty three and counting, minus mm. twenty two. He 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 marks each minute nice. up until the final. Oh, no, that's not in the audio at all. That, that's interesting, uh, yeah. and that reinforces my idea. Nice, mm. but it's, it's, it's well, he it's, calls it D Day, right? That that part that that part three. It's it's not in the earlier parts of the novel. He says uh, he says he calls it D Day, right? It's mm. gonna be. It's it's coming. There's a. It's, it's. There's so many like little details that just fill in the question. Like, think about the that party, right? He's he's really excited about the party. We'd never heard of this guy, his friend who has the party, right? Before before the party's announced, and he goes to the party, and. There's all sorts of people around, and uh, I mean, there's some really nice language about <laughs> when he's tripping on his drug. Um, the words fall out of his mouth: "drop, d r o p, hit the floor and dissolve." Right, <laughs> and then he wants to sing to himself. So, uh, I mean, that's all good writing, but it's like, um, why did he take that drug? Because, uh, I mean, I think this is what a lot of people say about it. Right, is that those trips are designed to break you out of whatever rut you're in. It's which not, is, which is kind of like the point of this whole novel. I mean, but it didn't work. And the whole society is no, it failed. Or maybe I mean, it, it did work, right? In the sense that it confirmed what he wanted yeah. to be confirmed, because he he's really worried about suicide, right? He's worried about it. He knows that he's putting himself on the path over and over again. He's trying not to be a liar all the time, but he's lying to himself about it. And so that I think that that's like the 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 girl gives gives him that drug. We have this alternative life for him, but ultimately underneath, um, he's got a path that he's put himself on due to circumstances. It's almost like it's almost like the um, the cancer is in him. Right, that he's, he's yeah, go for he's it. Got a, he's got a compulsion. Like uh, I thought, time and time again, he has these. He's on this track, and there's ways he could get off. Yeah, and you're watching him on a path of self destruction. He could have like, kept no. driving to Las Vegas with her, right? Yeah, yeah. Or it's, or it's like, no, mate, don't take the mescaline because <laughs> you, yeah. it's not going to end up well. Or just call the real estate agent. Just get yourself back on track. Don't argue with your wife at the restaurant that's not going to work out right. well um but it's like he's come he's uh compulsively and unconsciously taking these uh decisions towards this doomed uh end for himself destructive steps yeah, step yeah. the gangsters step. at one point tell him like you'd be a really good bowler 
you just try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like really towards the end of the story. It's like, you know, if you if you just worked a little bit hard at the pulling, you could be a good bowler. Maybe that's all he needed, right? You know, <laughs> Maybe. Life for himself. Well, he definitely didn't need to watch more TV, that's for sure. Uh, that, that was <laughs> no. definitely a target of his, his ire. Um, but it's because... It, best Arnold would say. But it, it's because it's, it told him lies, right? It told him, it told him lies. Um, and everybody's... Nobody else is obsessed with TV, Right? The girl wants to watch Star Trek, but nobody else is thinking about TV all the time. And the other thing that he seems to do, and I think this is a kingism, maybe, um, just reading everything. Somebody pointed this out on a YouTube. Uh, you know, he reads people's cigarettes, what brand they're drinking, right? Everything's branding. He's noticing all the advertising brands mm. all over everything. Is that a? Mm. Is that a? Is that a kingism? Is that, it's something I noticed in his other stuff, but not quite as much as I noticed in this It one. comes out in some other stories about these points of, like, obsession. Um, there's a good short story called N, where uh, the main character gets obsessed with numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the brand names I noticed start to become more and more in the second half of the book as he's becoming more obsessed. Yeah. Um, but there's a good there's a good line kind of is from Alan Ellison that you know uh, that King has quoted. He said a lot of people say TV sucks. That's not true. Mm-hmm. It is sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, uh, I think Paul's yeah. point was the yeah. Yeah, glass the, the, teeth. The, the, the glass teeth. The Harlan Ellison mm. book of essays. I read those back in the early '80s when I was first getting into science fiction because my brother had 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 them, and so it's like. So it was about television that I kind of knew a bit about in reruns and other stuff I had no idea about. And reading Hall Nelson when you're 14 is kind of a mind screw. Even if he's talking just about television and not as fiction, which I was reading those too. It's like, ugh. It's like, it, 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 it was kind of an eye opener at a very early age. Whoa. He, he, he gave no fucks. He, 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 he clearly, pardon my language, he, he clearly said, yeah, tele- television. <laughs> I'm an adult, I can handle it. <laughs> and you can't, turn away, you can't turn away from it. It's like, yeah, because it is sucked. You just keep going back to the glass to eat. I, I, Evan, um, I was telling you about the Dickheads a show on Galactic Pot Healer. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, I was saying, one of these dudes doesn't get the book. Another of the dudes half gets the book. And the third dude has another idea. Um, I think if you don't if you don't appreciate a book the right way, it's like a sort of it is a kind of a tragedy. Um, but one of the things they talked about on that episode was they talked about how writers uh, back then could almost make livings, and they were like, I guess they're all writers trying to make because they yeah. they talk about you know my latest book is out and I'm working on this book or whatever, and then there's the other guy who says and I'm Langhard. Langhorn J Tweed or whatever. So there, there are, you know, we're in a period of time where there are people who write all the time. And I know, I know Paul knows a lot of them and some of them make their living, uh, at another job. And some of them are rich. Some of them are rich and just live off of whatever that is, I guess, investment properties or whatever. Um, and then there's, there's the very rare exception, like Stephen King, who actually is a writer for a living, who writes actual novels. And then there's a lot of writers, tons and tons of them, who write 
TV shows who make perfectly great livings, right? And and then there's the screenwriters, and there's a lot of those, and some of them make perfectly great livings, right? But the actual novel writing and short story writing people, like Ted Chang can't possibly make a living from writing short stories, right? You just can't. However, that sale of his, you know, to a movie, that's going to be a, a nice windfall. So maybe it all balances out. <laughs> Ultimately, though, we're, we're looking at a book that wasn't written uh, because he wanted to make a lot of money. He's just, he's this weirdo writer, right? King is. Um, but he's weird in that he's he's somehow able to do the thing that a lot of people were able to do in the past. But even Philip K. Dick... Right, he's having to write a ton to be a professional writer, and he was pretty bad at doing it. Even though he's, you know, successful, he's, he's bad at doing it, and he's not making a lot of money. But he's doing something of value. So what's interesting is King is tapped into in this book a kind of despair uh, that most Americans, I think, and most people probably just in under capitalist systems think is pretty terrible right I, I can't imagine mr jim moon's making enough money off of my patreon support <laughs> to uh you know sit back and not have to do any other work or you know whatever but uh he i don't think he's only doing it because jesse's might increase his his, <laughs> his subscription base by having him on the podcast right <laughs> it's something outside of that and so if you were in a another you know, if you were in an industrial laundry where you had good relationship with a bunch of people and then it got taken over by a corporation, wouldn't you be a lot worse off mentally, Mr. Jim Moon? Uh, absolutely. It's why I choose to live the way I do. <laughs> it's kind of, there's a line it's in um, the introduction to uh, Skeleton Crew by King. Um, and that starts with a, a reported conversation with a friend of his saying, why'd you bother with the short stories, Steve? They, they can't, you know, they must cost you more than the, of course they do. They're worth doing. Uh, but his argument was, you know, you don't do it for the, for the money. If you're doing anything for the money, you're the, you're a, you're a clockwork monkey, mm. you know, and it's in, in his introduction, original to the Backman books it is, it comes down to the same thing. He, he wrote these books and he published these books because he wanted people to read the books. There was no, wasn't anything really any sort of agenda or idea or as he said you know i didn't need to publish any more books i was like i don't need the money you know what mm -hmm. i mean and again he says I, I can't you know i just wanted people to read them that's the best i can come up with you know good job i didn't kill anybody because my explanations suck <laughs> but it is true it is true you know you, you i mean you know i think a lot of creative people you do it because you're interested because it it gives it meaning. I don't want to say value, value, meaning, yeah, satisfaction. Uh, there's you certainly for. I think for writing like podcasting, you do it for the love of sharing things. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think once you start to, once you're forced to, um, like if it was your main profession, and you're forced to, when all your income is coming from that one thing, your decisions about what you have to do. Is about I need to make enough money to survive for the next month. So I need to sometimes do the things that are popular and are going to sell. 
Market research. And, uh, oh my God! Right. This yeah. is this is why that show that uh, our opinions are correct show. They're telling people you don't need to read Heinlein. Just read Scalzi. That'll get you up to speed, so you can be like us, per- making something that's marketable. <laughs> but I don't feel like this book is designed to be marketed. Right. The one I just read. It 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 feels more like um, it's something he had to do. It was compulsion. He's trying to work something out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's opposite about, of a recipe, right? It's, it's not about will it sell. It's about I got, I've got this well, story that I want to tell. I, I mean, I may think there's an intersection here. There, there, are, there are stories inside of writers that beg to be told, and then there's the real politique of having to pay yes. the electric bill. Yes, and, absolutely. And and, and and so, writers, writers as writers, since I, as you know, as you said, Jesse, I talk to know a bunch of writers have to balance. Well, what what will my agent and my publisher accept versus what is the story inside me that I really want to tell? And and make, managing those decisions, whether you have a job or a spouse with a job or not, are very very tricky things. They were tricky in 1973, and they're very very tricky now in 2020. No, 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 it, it, it's like make a life as a just story think of writer. Think you know. Think of the expansion of you know the number of books being published. It's going up and up and up, and yet what, what was the news in the, like the last week is what Penguin is now emerging with Random House, which is now yeah. merging with Macmillan, which is all one big corporation that's going to be owned by yeah, Amazon. Which, which is well, I don't know about Amazon, but yeah, it, something Google. that that pub- publishing like that uh, traditional publishing is consolidating in that fashion. It's not. A healthy ecosystem by any standards. Well, but on the other hand, if you go to Amazon and try to find self-published stuff, it's uh, uh, it's not good. Well, there, there's, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of content, but the problem is is ultimately underneath it all, right? Is is your uh, sharecropper for uh, Bezos? <laughs> I, I I always think about like all the new medium that are coming in, right? So in this in this book, what do we have? We have TV. That's the main medium. There's also movies. He goes to see The Exorcist, and what does he say? I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> he liked the actor, right? <laughs> he ultimately would have preferred not to have seen the film because <laughs> you can ima- notice we didn't see him actually sitting in the theater watching the screen. But what happens in that movie is that a girl spins her head around and barfs all over the place, which is something that basically he does in this book, right? <laughs> he spins his head around and barfs, and the priest can't help. Right? Uh, and it's a horror story, right? So the the meta on this book is really amazing. But at the time, there is no podcasting, right? There's no Netflix. There's no, uh, I don't know, forums for, uh, like, people on forums uh tagging each other so we've got the traditional meeting we've got newspaper we've got radio we've got uh tv um i guess record players right bookstore that's it you got all that okay now what do we have uh i asked my students hey uh, are you reading anything and then no and i said what are you doing because i'm curious as to what they're all doing mostly playing league of legends which is a free you know clicky game where you click 10,000 times a second <laughs> um, on the screen and move little guys around the screen. They play other uh, online free games. Um, they watch uh, streaming. Right? So these are, the, these are the new media. And then there's this increasingly smaller media. 
You know, people still like horses, but not like when they did in the 19th century where everybody needed a horse, right? Now people who like horses are weird. Um, <laughs> but back then, everybody needed to know about horse shit. <laughs> they needed to know about it because it was their transportation to and from work, carrying goods around. Now we've got, uh, you know, a very fringe phenomena, which is short stories, incredibly fringe, super fringe. I mean, only thing that's more fringe is poetry, right? How many poetry journals are there? Plenty. How many subscribers? Six, right? Mm. <laughs> Everybody wants to produce poetry. Everyone wants, wants to produce novels. But actually, the content that's, it, that's wanted is uh, YouTube content and Twitch content. And, and so this... This change, this angst, I think, has probably been transferred uh, to other places, and we're not getting it perfectly. But podcasts are still, I think, on an upwards arc. But eventually, like all media, and I think maybe novels, we're on the decline now. I don't think novels are getting bit, you know, are on the, uh, <laughs> like, short stories. Right? Short stories sort of peaked, I would say, in the 50s. And they're mm. on a steady decline. And novels, uh, I mean, they're still producing good novels, but they seem to have peaked and they're on the decline. And it's not... I, 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 don't, know not, about, I, I don't know about novels. Short stories, I will... I think will about broadcast TV. Has broadcast TV gotten better or gotten worse? I think it's on the decline. I think we're we're in a in a phase where we're in a we're in a something else. That's right? um I would say like it's an interesting point. I think the decline in short stories is to do with the media yes. that people consume and magazines are much less so now. Dude, they're, really they're almost gone. But like you said though, and I, I would agree that podcasts are maybe plateauing yeah. or maybe even on the decline. But I listened to a lot of podcasts that have short stories, and that was actually like one of the first things I started listening to in podcasts was sure. like podcasts that were producing classic literature, of course, for free and putting it out there. So that might be. Um, we're never going to give up on stories. What we're going to give no. up on is the short story market that we saw in the 1950s. Right. It's yeah. It's not a market that people pay for, no. unfortunately. So yeah, I suppose. You're but right I there. pay for Mr. Jim Moon's show, and I think it's great. Right? Uh, uh, if I had more money, I'd pay more. I I don't even want him to produce more content <laughs> because he's producing enough. I've got enough. There seems to be a bit of a renaissance though in people doing actually original, like you know, either fiction or or short audio dramas sure. and podcasting, sure. and that's mm -hmm. that's a healthy yeah. area of growth. But certainly in the last few years, there's been a lot of carpetbaggers moved in. Oh, yes. Um, I'll tell you one who's been in podcasting for a while and on any sort of podcasting forums. You see these people rocking up, and their first question is, not what Mike should use, but how do I make money off of this? That's right. And people go, well, what's your show about? Well, I don't know. I'll think of something. <laughs> or, or the people yeah. say that they're inventing podcasts and more podcast dramas and all the voters are looking like, what, really? Yeah. Well, th there's nobody to check their claims because the media that used to you know go in there and scurriously fuck things up now work for the giant corporations and slash the government which are essentially the same thing right and hence the hence the problem of our 
Barton Dawes. <laughs> it's all a conspiracy, basically, to extract value. Um, and they sell it to you in lies. Right? You just buy into this American dream. You go fight those Vietnamese. You know, you work on this road and everything will be fine. You, you'll you have two kids in a suburban home and he likes his suburban home. And they're going to mm-hmm. take that away from him. Horrible. Wonderful book. Mm. Because it's so horrible. It's difficult because he's he's struggling with reality. Right? I think. Well, the thing is, his whole... He set up this laundry. It was a family-owned business. At some point, he got bought out, and he continued with it. He didn't have a problem with it. Um, and to, to my reading of it, it's, you know, he had this terrible loss of his child, and the job was still there, the house was still there, and he's continued in a kind of a stasis. Yep. And when the road comes along and everything's going to change, suddenly he realizes he can't move on. His wife has moved on. He can't. And what's more, he's mm. finding what he's stuck with, he really doesn't bloody like anymore. And that's actually changed as well without him realizing mm-hmm. while he's been grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like the way... I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on at first. I'm like, who is this guy he's talking about? Is he got like... Is he schizophrenic? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, turns thought, out that he's not. It's King, it's schizophrenic schizophrenia or some sort of mental disorder i mean it took me a while to realize yeah it's talking about his son even though they're using different names for each other middle names he's basically talking his own son in his head it's like it's not it's not supernatural at all it's just him working it's such easy flow right like there's never a point where i'm like well that was a clunky sentence right it's just easy flow and ideas and then um, go for it as you say you're talking about kingisms right or things like i detect i mean I'm not great with literary style, but it did seem like there was a slightly different Backman style in this book. A little more cynical. (laughs) Yeah, but the kingism was like, often you'll see king repeat phrases. Sure. And in the the internal dialogue, like often song lyrics are something he seems Mm. to use quite a bit. Right. Um, and, uh, And I assumed that Fred and George, I think, were the Mm -hmm. two, that's his internal names, I thought they were TV characters. I thought yeah, they were yeah. some sort of I can TV see that. show hosts. That's an interesting. And they were like having like repartee or like dialogue with each other. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of adopting those personas. Um, but that's a very like kingism to show a person's internal development or their or internal decline in this case. Um, is him them constantly having that internal dialogue that's coming back to these same touchstones of the same song or the same brand or the same characters. Um, yeah. I, I saw, I, I went, looked at a bunch of things online just to look around. I watched, there's tons of reviews of Stephen King stuff. You go to BookTube, you know, you, that's where Connor lives, the BookTube environment I sort of think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what I, what I hate are the short ones like here's six minutes on this book and like dude it took nine hours to read and spend six minutes talking about it that's not going to be a good show but i did see one that was like 23 minutes long and uh one he went over a bunch of books he said it was books that should have been bachman books i think is what it was called something like that 
And he talked about a bunch of books that could have been written under the Bachman pseudonym or the reviewer thought could have been written under the Bachman pseudonym. One of them I thought was interesting. Maybe that's uh, a reason to do it as a show on top of the fact that Evan keeps talking about it, which is Revival. Um, could mm. that have been oh, yeah. a Bachman book? I And Blaze, sure. right? No, it's, also Bachman. It's, it's one of its darker novels. In that sense, it could be a, dark, a Bachman book. But we should it's, do Revival anyways. Yeah, that's a good one. One of my favorite of his recent books. Have you read it, uh, like Paul? The epigraph for that, he he names he he like name drops Lovecraft, Macon, all these all these people we've been talking about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Paul, have you read that? One? I I haven't read. I think I have it on my Kindle. Um, no, I haven't read that one yet. That's that's more straight apart. Yeah, isn't it? no, revival would be top of my list. It says um, the protagonist details how his life keeps intersecting with that of a man he first met as the pastor of his church in his childhood, whose experiments with electricity lead to mastery of a cosmic power which he uses to help people, until his obsession leads to physical and spiritual disaster for all. And the tags for it are horror, first person, rock and roll, fifth business, whatever that is. A cosmic horror, afterlife, mad scientist, addiction, electricity, religion, carnies, USA, yeah. contemporary, and Lovecraft. <laughs> Lovecraftian. Oh, so. When I first read this, I thought, like, King had, like, took this trope of the mad scientist, which I just kind of figured was kind of a dead thing, mm-hmm. and, like, made it totally realistic and, like, totally believable. You know, it was just so good. I'm up it's for it. It's a mad scientist novel. It really is. I'm up for it. It, it came out in 2014. Yep. Almost ten. Almost ten. All right. <laughs> what are the other? He said should have been Bachman because because around oh. the time this was published, Cujo was published, and that's all. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, that was on the list too. That was really bleak and nasty and kind of dirty. Makes you feel dirty when you read it. I I do find it interesting. We have some of these authors who split their works into multiple multiple names and write different things under those names. The, the author I think of most in this regard is Shauna McGuire who has a lot of her own stuff and, and then she has the more horror horror biological stuff not only zombies but also parasites with Mira Grant and she's got some other most stuff with uh, some more fairy stuff as a Deborah Baker so it's, it's almost like she it's it's a weird association of stuff Almost like branding, sort of like, like okay, if you pick up a mirror, if I pick up a mirror Grant novel, I know I'm going to get different experience than a regular Shorter McGuire novel, and yeah, that's, that's good. He addresses that in the introduction to this, and I, I think what I like about it is I don't think he's ever lying. When I see, when I saw Stephen King talking about uh, why there was some interviewer saying why that Rage was out of print, his argument as to why it was out of print, I think, was 100% honest. It was. It wasn't like um, I'm worried about getting canceled. <laughs> um, it was like uh, I just didn't want to have that on my conscience, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, if this book s- suddenly started turning up in uh, in Suicide by Cop, people, um, <laughs> well, then I think he would probably want it canceled because it's really it's about what he's talking about. It's about the power of TV and media to influence people and and the thing is is we're, we're talking about the media uh, like there was a um there was a new york times 
um, podcast. I really don't like this new podcast genre. It's very, very, very popular. True crime podcast. Oh, yeah. And there's one um, I, I want to say. There, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of true crime slash journalism sort of podcasts. Oh, yeah. Every time something happens. I mean, like here in Minnesota, they started up one for the Derek Chauvin trial and story of Derek Chauvin. Oh, yeah. That's going to be hot. And his and, and and killing of George Floyd, it's like it's suddenly popped up out of nowhere. It's a way to make money off of the sort of gruesome interests of people, which makes sense. But the one I'm thinking of is um, it was what's uh, what was the, what would ISIS wanted to make? They wanted to make a caliphate. caliphate. Yeah, so I believe it was called Caliphate. It was a a New York Times podcast about this guy who Canadian who went to uh, Iraq to uh, help join ISIS and. Uh, make the caliphate, and this is a confessional podcast, right? Uh, and it's oh, he's winning awards, and it's the most popular show. And then it turns out it's all fucking lies. <laughs> and then he, he even got arrested in Canada for like fraud or something. Um, yeah, he he never went there. <laughs> he just did it all on the internet, and you know, it's it turned it into a a media thing, right? But people, we have this insatiable desire to like. I remember when the O.J. Simpson thing was happening on TV, it was like, um, it was sick. Like, they had the dancing Edos, seven dancing Judge Edos on Jay Leno or whatever. As like, the, that sickness, right? Um, it, it, I think it shows up in here with the Merv Griffin interviewing, uh, some, you know, Lauren Green about his new cop show, right? <laughs> he likes Lauren Green. But he, what's he think? He thinks I'd like to rip the rip his hair off bald, right? <laughs> like, what does Lauren Green look like bald? This is just like random thoughts, right? <laughs> but notice mm. that he's being shaped by what he sees. So whatever the TV channel shows, and we actually get a flipping scene where he talks. He he puts the he tells the girl he put the remote in his mouth and clicked it to see if it would work, right? That's like a suicide scene, right? I mean, it's that's why this book is so good and why I'm sure in a 100 years people will be going through it in some sort of academia media that we don't even understand, except it won't be ivory tower academia anymore. It'll be, I don't know, some sort of blockchain version of academia. <laughs> blockchain. Where, where Jim, Jim Moon gets granted all the blockchain degrees for all his work and <laughs> Jesse gets uh, yelled at as being a heretic or whatever. <laughs> the important part is it's going to be some weird future. People will be going back and talking about, about how good Stephen King was at doing this thing, which is showing sort of the psychological underpinnings of what the fuck's going on. And that's why I, I want to sort of make that claim that, yeah, although Heinlein makes a good argument for being the best, or not best, the most American author, I think Stephen King gives him a really fucking good run for his money with a book like this. Because it really, and rage, and, you know, it, it really does tap into something that's real. Is very it's it's not so much quotidian is accurate, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, I, I feel cold out here. Well, no, I I just I, I was thinking, what the hell is Paul talking about? This is this is a guy goes to the gun shop and he's like, well, it's you know United States, <laughs> and it is. But um, uh, think about think about what that guy at the gun store was always on about is going down to Mexico, 
and and shooting a zebra. <laughs> I had the best time of my life. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with that guy's life, yo? <laughs> I mean, I, I well, can see the excitement, but that is a good time. But also, it was like uh, that that place in Mexico. It's a you know, the, it, it's half fictional, right? Is it's stocked? It's not like these are wild animals, and you're it's it's a planned experience. Mm. Yeah, it's a simulation as well. A simulation. That's mm. good way mm. of putting it. I mean, just think of how much time we spend in games. And games on our phone and games uh, online as opposed to the media like uh, novels in the 70s where you would go to the the drugstore and there would be your drugs, your smokes, your alcohol, and your spinner rack full of thin novels. Mm. Long lost. He's a really, he really good writer. And that's why I think it's... It's like you can't review this with stars. It wouldn't make any sense. Like <laughs> this is a, I give it 6.7 out of 10. <laughs> like what? <laughs> <laughs> How could it have been a, a better book about killing yourself? <laughs> you need to kill more cops. Like what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, I mean, what's funny is he's not actually that immoral, right? The things that he does in here. It's not really even a crime book, even though there's crime happening, technically. Right? He doesn't ever kill anyone else, does he? I don't, I don't think so. No. He, and, and like, it, I think a, a cop gets shot at one point. Because like, uh, he's, he's, yeah. he's trying not to hit them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just trying to push yeah. them back. Yeah. Well, is he trying to push them back, or is he just trying to get them to kill him? Because that's ultimately what... Right, he avoids... Mm-hmm. He avoids having to do the thing that he wants to, well, that he feels needs to be done. <laughs> and not he even does, that he feels, right? He he does detonate it himself at the end, though. Right? Uh, well, so. he was shot, though, right? Uh, yeah, I guess oh, so. Oh, right, okay. So. Yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. No, I think you're right. He, I mean, he does. But he, he wanted to blow it all up, right? Mm. If, he, if he could, if, if, if he had the power, see, you make it a science fiction novel, Paul. If he had uh, not Jellignite, but uh, nukes, and he could blow up the whole country, this explains a lot of people, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think you look at the news way too much, Paul. <laughs> but it explains well, so much maybe. of what's going on, right? That there's, I was thinking about, do you guys think about this incident while we were reading this book? Um, that guy in New Orleans, was it New Orleans? Uh, he got a truck and he announced, I'm going to blow up. You remember this? No, I've never heard of that. Okay. So it was like, I don't know, a month and a half ago or maybe two months ago. Maybe it was around Christmas. I don't know. There's, this guy, maybe it wasn't New Orleans. It was somewhere in the South. Um, got a truck, um, and uh, drove it into the center of town and had an announcement like, uh, coming through speakers saying this vehicle will explode in three minutes and he played some music that he liked and then uh the warning came on again this vehicle will explode and they, they turned it into like a a panic show at first but then you know ultimately most people weren't injured by it you guys don't know about this incident paul you must know you followed the news way uh, more closely it sounds than me. vaguely familiar it wasn't new orleans though it was somewhere like 
North Carolina, I want to say. Yeah, maybe. It was somewhere south. <laughs> south of right. here. It, it was Truck south. blow up, city center. I have to look it up now. Oklahoma City? No. But there's another one. That's uh, a struggle against uh, oppression by the feds, right? People get all sorts of ideas in their heads. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so did the cop blow up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nashville. Oh, wow, it did. What? It Nashville? Nashville. Yeah. Uh huh. It was yeah. It was, um, like, it was like it was like like almost just after Christmas. Yeah, that sounds mm. right. Yeah, Nashville explosion motive. Yeah, it wasn't a truck. It was a camper. Now oh. I've googled it. Yeah, yeah but I, it was a truck with a camper on it. I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. What's it say? I, um. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to read the Wikipedia here. On December twenty fifth, there you go, twenty twenty. Anthony Quinn Warner. Anthony Quinn. Look at that. His name is Anthony Quinn Warner. <laughs> Detonated a recreational vehicle, RV bomb, in downtown Nashville, uh, killing himself, injuring eight people, and damaging dozens of buildings in the surrounding area. It took place on 166th Avenue. Um, okay. Search for motives. <laughs> okay. Investigators searched Warner's home, and several items were seized, including a computer, portable storage device, a copy of Bachman's novel. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're now you're doing news. <laughs> it's called the joke, Paul. Um, and it says the packages which the FBI investigated included writings in which he expressed his belief in nine eleven conspiracy theories. Uh, well, uh, technically, nine eleven was a conspiracy, just so you all know. Uh, moon landing conspiracy. Wait, what? You don't think nine eleven was a conspiracy? Bunch well, of guys I mean, it was, decided it was to blow up of the terrorists. I mean, I mean, let, let, yeah. let us be clear for listeners. I mean, nine eleven conspiracy means it was a conspiracy by the government or by force. By that's uh, your interpretation. Other than, the, other than the terrorists. Well, I'm sure there was some uh, other stuff going on too that we don't know fully about, but um, there was definitely conspiracy involved there. Moon landing conspiracy theories. Uh, okay, reptilian conspiracy theory. I can see that. <laughs> he also referenced a UFO conspiracy theory in which space aliens had purportedly begun to attack Earth on September 2011, which he was covered up by Old the media. conspiracy theories, really. <laughs> right. Aliens, reptoids, he's waiting for Atlantis and I've got the bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is, is um, this reptilian theory goes back a long way. There's a, stories in Los Angeles, tunnels and um, but I always think of the Robert E. Howard one, uh, what the King Cull, Shadow Kingdom, the Shadow Kingdom. That's right. Ooh, you just, have you read that one, Connor? Yeah, I have. Awesome. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Weird fiction and also uh, pretty interesting because it's a metaphor, right? That's the way. Mm. That's why it has power because it's a metaphor. The dragons of the ancient, uh, you know. European mythology are metaphor. Mm. There's this guy. He's sitting on a lot of gold. He's stealing our girls. <laughs> he won't mm-hmm. share. He's very powerful. We need one strong guy yeah. to go in there and kill him. Distri- redistribute the wealth. Yeah, well, yeah. Dragons and golden greed are definitely metaphors for that. So, and dragons a metaphor for greed and avarice and. I mean, you've all read Jack of Shadows, correct? No. 
No. Nope. Yep. Um, Rogers Zelazny. So basically, in the far future, the Earth has stopped rotating. The sun side is all science. The dark side is all, t- all fantasy oh, and yeah, magic. That sounds familiar. And things can happen. And one time they, they, they were like, Oh, it was mentioned in that died. Appendix N book. That's why it's so familiar. It, 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 it was it reviewed be. in there. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, a guy. Any, anyway, it's mentioned that someone got turned. Got turned into a dragon because of their greed, and they had to give up their greed in order to get back to being human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you see that whole- Beowulf uh, that Neil Gaiman wrote, he makes it fairly clear that the his version that the dragon is is the king, right? That he's in in his somewhat he's a struggle with himself in a certain sense. His it's his own son that he's you know come back to claim it's pretty interesting stuff so yeah uh, when i mean it's it's also hyperbole right this idea of um when people talk about moon landing being fake right the thing is there's there's like people managing it right and so that that seems like to feed into the idea of Things are being faked because it's like when you see an advertisement and they show you uh, on TV for a, a bird. Actually, that's another scene in that movie, um, Falling Down. He goes into a McDonald's equivalent and mm. he wants breakfast. They don't have breakfast. So he gets the lunch menu and he's on the first name basis with all the staff. It's, it's crazy. Um, and they, sh- he, he, they give him his Whopper or whatever the equivalent thereof is. And he opens it up, and he's all excited about eating. And then he looks at it, and he says, this is supposed to look like that, right? And he points to the menu where it shows a big non-squished sandwich that looks yummy. <laughs> when they do those commercials with, uh, you know, food, where they're making the steak look good or whatever it is, there's, like, some rule that they have to use real food. But it's not actually edible because they have to do a bunch of shots, right? So if you're doing ice cream, it's usually potatoes, like mashed potatoes. And it's oh. like it's like so it if you say it's all fake, you're kind of correct. And I think that that's what this book is sort of ultimately about is is I was lied to, it's all fake. And so when, you know, we see 9/11 conspiracy theories, moon landing conspiracies, reptilian conspiracy theory, we're supposed to that the reason this information is given to us and is so interesting to us is because here it's in the next quote. He wrote in part, everything, quote-unquote, is an illusion. And then he says, there is no such thing as death, is another one of the quotes. Um, but all that oh, being... That from, that's from this that, guy, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. So uh, this is why I'm saying this is very real, right? Like, uh, if Stephen King uh, wasn't so good at writing, he might have blown something up. I mean, he, he actually... T- it's really funny when you see him interviewed... And it's actually been mentioned, I think, twice in this podcast. Um, he didn't kill anyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the point. Is like it's wrong to kill people. But reading that rage book, right? He he doesn't want to kill people. It just needs to be done, sort of. But he doesn't want to do it. But you know, they're making him do it. But also, it's bad. But we we got to be real here. So. Mm. Uh, it, people reacting against being lied to it's and being gaslit nobody likes that yeah 
You're saying there I'm was, crazy. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say there was um, another case that did like a, a real life case that um, that this book did remind me of, um, and uh, it's maybe like a slightly better parallel because it was about a man who was in a massive feud with the local council mm-hmm. in his town. I don't know whether um, uh, the case is sort of like informally known as the Killdozer case. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yes, oh, yes. yes. Killdozer? That's a Sturgeon yeah. reference. Well, that's because he built a, be. a, a bulletproof Killdozer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what he did was he got a bulldozer and he built this, uh, welded together this big frame. Poured cement all over it. Yeah. Yeah, and concrete. And uh, it was insane. He sat in the, on the bulldozer, and he lifted this thing on top of it, of this huge armor stuff he had made on top of the bulldozer with a crane while he was inside it. Marvin Hemeyer is his name. Yeah, and then went on a rampage. But he didn't. He did. He basically committed suicide. Yes. But he didn't hurt anybody else. He just destroyed buildings. But he targeted. And it was uh, over zoning. You're right. Yeah, like the town hall, and, um, but it was, but like uh, you know, he had been uh, building this thing for like a year or two years, I think. Mm-hmm. It was very premeditated, <laughs> um, but it, it reminded me of this, where it was like some sort of feud with the local council that just got out of hand. Um, In Colorado, and, uh, of course, that's a lot of stuff. Dave, but Colorado's like. The K- Kentucky's for school shootings and Colorado's for like rampages. Kill doses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's some quotes yeah. from uh, his motivation. God built me for this job, Hemeyer said in his first recording. He also said it was God's plan that he not be married or have a family so that he could be in a position to carry out such an attack. Quote, I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, and to do the stuff I have to do, he said. God blessed me in advance for the task that I am about to undertake. It is my duty. God has asked me to do this. It's a cross that I'm going to carry, and I'm going to carry it in God's name. So he's off to kill himself. And then <laughs> it says, mm. the, here's notes found by investigators after the incident indicated the primary motivation for the bulldozer rampage was his plan to stop the concrete plant from being built near his shop. These notes indicated that he held grudges over zoning approval. Quote, I, always, I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable, he wrote. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. It, yeah, like build a homemade tank. <laughs> And he's thinking it through, right? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So if this if this book was found in his library, uh, you know, even like on an altar, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's he's I'm not I'm totally serious because I think Mm, I think this is like he's tapped into something real. Um, Mm. um, right now, uh, my mom's upset about uh smoke being uh, coming from a campfire uh, from somebody nearby her is going like at all hours but he has a permit but they also don't want to they don't want to um, escalate it right even though it's not supposed to be going at all hours for cookouts and uh, cooking breakfast and lunch and dinner and burning you know building supplies and all that stuff uh, because he's got a brain injury 
that that's mm. difficult. He, you know, he's living in a in a uh, a trailer, right? I I say you know live and let live, but if you escalate things, people can be scary. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Well, muddle through somehow. Pretty much. Um, it, it occurs to me that, like, uh, with this with this case of um, Marvin Heemeyer, mm-hmm. um, he actually had the same thing happen where he was on a bit of land. The council was trying to buy his property from yep. him, I think. And they kept on increasing the price and increasing the price, and he just wouldn't sell. But And the same thing sort of happens in this. And uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to just ask the question: Like, why does everyone think that um, Bart doesn't move? It's his castle. Is it? He just castle can't doctrine. Let go of it. It's the. It's the. I mean, that's what he he tells us. Right? He says, mm. "This is the place where you had some fun. You cooked in the backyard, and you had sex with your wife, and." Mm. This is your life, right? Uh, One of the things I also thought about, one of the most traumatic things you can do for an older person is to move them, Mm. right? Yeah, yeah. If you're a person in your 70s and you've been living in your house for 50 years, um, you think, well, I'm going to put them into a nursing home and then they'll be a lot better off. But there's a reason they didn't want to move in there, right? Maybe Mm. they need to go because... Uh, the alternative is worse because the stairs or, you know, access or, you know, neglect or whatever. But it's it's a fact. If you're if you, if you move, it's a trauma. It's not a trauma of um, you know physical kind, but it's a mental trauma. And we're not just physical stuff. So no, that's true. It somehow seems. Like, uh, I, I can definitely understand it, but, um, I mean, I, it seems like the, the rational thing to do is like, this is really horrible and it's really crap that I have to leave my house and it's going to be traumatic, but, uh, it's got to be done. Um, but, <laughs> notice, uh, notice that the, when the way you just put it, there is no hmm. person there. It's got to be done. It's like what yeah. George Bush said after invading Iraq and a million people dead. Mistakes were made. Very Who made point. those mistakes? <laughs> right? It's yeah. got uh, uh, the other the other again. the other book that's that I thought I thought uh, that was really funny to compare this to. Um, I thought a lot about it. Um, is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Because that yes. starts oh, exactly with the same thing, right? Talk about because mm. it's about the same thing, right? It's a guy who refuses to let his house be built and the trouble with the council. And I was like, the <laughs> yeah, problems no in the house. 70s seem to be that the government was actually interested in infrastructure, <laughs> and building it. Bypasses, as Presser said. That's right. Got the full mm. And it was no on file either. in the bottom of a and locked filing cabinet with a tiger. <laughs> Beware of the tiger yeah, sign. And the, <laughs> and the Bogons build their interstate bypass. Indeed. Right, and that's the 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 comedy way of going for it. Uh, they're actually yeah. a, a pretty the close in time. Eighty one versus seventy nine, I, I, I think. I doubt that Adams or or whatnot read this book. No, Adams is first uh, for publication. So yeah, he didn't. Yeah, but it was definitely uh, something that 
we don't hear as much about, right? There isn't like a high-speed uh, train going across the United States that is kicking people out. But eminent domain was very big when trains were being, you know, tracks were being laid down all over the place. And it still happens today, right? But it's it's the most obvious example of not letting people just be. And I think that's why mm. it's so... Um, it, 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 literally, they want to bulldoze his life, right? They want to knock down where he works, disturb all his relationships that he's developed, his 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 network of of friends, family, neighbors, and uh, you know, it's not like he's attending church every day and he thinks that all this life is uh, just for a re- reward in heaven. So there's a I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah, definitely network, right? Mm. Definitely. That's why it's a good book. And and that's why I give it 6.7 stars out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I give it six kill doses out of 10. <laughs> if he had just killed a few more cops, it would have been 10 kill dozers. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. I'm glad the book improved for me. I was worried. I was going to say, "Yeah, I didn't like this book," and that would be the end of the thing. I for the entire. Podcast. How many? How many killdozers would you give? It? That's that's one of the things they do on that show. I don't. I don't like giving stars. I mean, I only Good. do it for like Nerds of a Feather because I have to. That's possible. I refuse. Otherwise, I don't like giving stars. I give everything five stars. <laughs> this um, is the worst book ever. Five stars. They hate it if you give it five stars or anything. You have to justify. Actually, it's out of ten. You have to really justify a ten out of ten review to the to the. I get eleven. To, to Adrian, eleven out of ten stars. I've given. I've given one ten out of ten review in three years. There, that's to a classic book. So, I felt justified. Mm. That was uh, um, the Dragon Waiting by John John uh, M. Ford. I gave that ten out of ten. What's the lowest so. you've ever given, given Paul? Um, four out of ten. <gasps> and I was being nice, but I could, I could, I could have, because I, 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 I hard to find, get to that four. <laughs> I really piss on people's work too much. I drink hard to get to that four. It, that book really deserved a three or a two. It, it was a horrible book. <laughs> I, uh, I I call that I call any of that stuff reviewism, a serious case of reviewism where you're reviewing a whole bunch of stuff, right? And you just and you end up you're reading these reviews of like somebody watching John Carpenter's The Thing, and then they got to bug up their ass about something that makes no sense if you watch the movie. It's because they reviewed too many fucking movies, right? <laughs> they don't like horror movies. <laughs> they like on Golden Pond or whatever. And he gave them <laughs> John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> it's not going to work out for them. They say, ah, you know, the sets are okay. Acting's ham-fisted. It's like, dude, have you seen this movie? <laughs> 
you have to accept it for what it is and not compare it to other stuff <laughs> except when appropriate yeah this is what what you use when i sent you that 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 rotten tomato screenshot of yeah what was that what, what, yeah my what was the review on that it was so crazy well you said that like the dialogue was stilted or whatever <laughs> yeah. like i i was watching my neighbor totoro and I said, let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. This has got to be 100%, right? <laughs> if any movie is 100%. Here it is. Too much like, of the like film is taken up with stiff so, mechanical so chit chat. You go there, you start to look for the bad reviews, right? Like, why would anyone not like this movie? And that was it. So too much like of the, the film. Too much of the film is taken up with stiff mechanical chit chat. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave it a, a Rotten Tomato. And he's a New York Times top critic. Stephen Holden, right? So the reason that guy reviewed that movie is because it's his job. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and I said, an acute case of reviewism, right? And I know about this because I used to write a lot of reviews and I'm like, I'm presented with some zombie, zombie romance novel. And I'm like, here's all the things wrong with this book. <laughs> and it's funny because they're all true. Right, I, I don't make stuff up in my reviews, but what I'm saying is this is a bad book because it's not a book I want to read. <laughs> it's not designed to be read by me. Well, it's like King's books always get the review. It was good, but it's too long. But yeah, but you got the book and you had to read this at speed to get it in to meet the publication deadline. To get right, right. That's why you think it's too long. <laughs> yeah, mm. and that. So I, I often complain about books being too long. Um, but I honestly haven't read that many King books and including how many big King books. So I can't say that, but what I will tell you here is this is not a book that was too long. It was long, but it was appropriate. I didn't feel it dragged anywhere. I think he was building up to exactly what he's doing. The title works incredibly well with what it's doing. Is it my favorite novel ever? No. Is it in my top 10? Absolutely not. But I wouldn't even try and make that top ten list. What I'm saying is, it's for what it is, it's really good, really, yep. really good. And I appreciate it, even though I'm not even in anywhere close to that headspace of the guy, because he put me in that headspace, and that was interesting. I think he's telling truth. It's it's almost like we need a truth meter for how true a book <laughs> is, right? <laughs> the truthiness. Okay, I can no, not this. the truthiness, but <laughs> how true. How true? Have a good one, Paul. How true a book is. Yeah. Bye bye, so. Have a good one. Bye bye. I don't know what was what was that? Uh, I sent Evan. I sent you one about uh, Heinlein. Somebody somebody was saying, "Oh yeah, this is a terrible article called uh, from some guy called website called the College Fix." Libertarian sci-fi author predicted current progressive induced cultural failures over yeah, 60 years ago and they're calling Heinlein a uh, libertarian and I'm like yeah he's libertarian ish for sure but the article calls him uh uh clairvoyant <laughs> which I thought was a little <laughs> bit loaded um and then talks about I, I think there aren't a lot of factual errors in the article which is interesting I'll just send it to the group here um but when you go to uh, look, Heinlein Libertarian, um, one of the first things that comes up is one of those 
Black Job Libertarian websites, and they make the case that he's not, uh, it's not e- easy sell that he's a libertarian and the reasons why, and I think those are legitimate. Uh, here it is. There's the libertarian. Um, not down with these guys at all. There we go. Um, but makes me really want to read that first Heinlein novel that, uh, where he's, uh, a utopian socialist, uh, for us, the living. <laughs> um, and they, they make the argument, and it sounds right to me, that he was heavily influenced by whoever he was married to. Um, because, you know, Philip K. Dick is the same way. Whatever things are going on in his life show up in his book, right? If I, if I tell you that anarcho-syndicalism is, is a really important thing you need to know about it, you might go throughout the rest of your day thinking about whether that's true or not. Anarcho-syndicalists are, are the path for our future, guys. <laughs> First, you're going to go look it up. Then you're going to say, is Jesse right? Uh, probably you wouldn't because I'm not substantial enough in your life like your wife would be. <laughs> but if I, if you thought I was wrong, you'd have to argue against it. Hence the need for a book, right? Or if you look into it and you think, oh, that is correct. But, uh, one of the things that comes up in this, um, this libertarian thing is they talk about his life. Um, and there's one thing mentioned here I hadn't noticed before. Second paragraph, it says, uh, about Heinlein, that is, his family had connections with a powerful Pendergast political machine. The outfit later put Harry Truman in the U.S. Senate, and he became president because of that, right? And if you know Truman's story, he was like, he was not a standout in any way. They thought of him as manipulable and uh, a guy who would go along to get along. So it's interesting the, that this is how Kamala is going to be president, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> because she she was willing to play. Um, and then it says, uh, but Heinlein still had to spend his freshman year in two year Kansas City Junior College, what we today would call a community college, before a Pendergast machine was able to wangle him a, an appointment to Annapolis. I, I can't. Yeah, that sounds right. I sometimes say West Point, but it's Annapolis. Oh, yeah. Uh, West Point is Poe, I think. Uh, after graduating from the Naval Academy in 1929 with a degree in mechanical engineering, Heinlein went to sea as an officer, but in his fourth year of active duty, he contracted tuberculosis, blah, 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 um, after a lengthy hospitalization at Navy expense. Um, and so he's retired at age 27, um, having lived his whole life in a socialist system, right? Where his parents are rich. Um, the corporation or company that he works for is the government. Uh, his health care is taken care of. He marries a lady. And then uh, has success after success being a competent writer, right? So he's thinking about stuff, but he doesn't work in a regular job mostly. He took orders, but he describes himself as like a anarch, anarchist, no, anarchist something. So, yeah, I need hi- I need Evan to do a sh- series of reviews <laughs> of everything <laughs> Heinlein ever wrote, <laughs> so I can uh, understand it better. 
I think I'll be the series. Then I'll I, I, I'm doing a lots of series, so I'm willing to do it. It'll <laughs> just take me 40 years to get through half <laughs> of it. You, you seemed a lot faster somehow. Yeah, I'm not going to spend more than a year or two on one. <laughs> well, you wrote a lot of stuff, so I, I don't know. I need to read some headline. Oh, he's um, good. He's no, good. I have a lot I have, of authors I want to get back into, but but I'm I, I think that case I, I made is pretty good. I won, and I have my books. And you haven't done Poe yet. You're supposed to be American authors guy. You're gonna do Poe. <laughs> yeah, I got Poe. I got I got both of the Library of America volumes of Poe. One is on their his criticism, and one is his stories. <laughs> Mr. Jim Moon, you did a show uh, recently, and I was I was really disappointed because you didn't talk about what you thought it all meant you did a show on the philip k dick uh piper in the woods oh yes well that's just my reading show so good so good commentary on those you did a really good reading on that that was like really Mm. good you weren't on our piper in the woods show no no it wasn't okay so uh, uh, because i i keep thinking about how good that story is um and it is about it's kind of like this book too right it's about refusing to work it's um mm-hmm. about uh about the about subverting the man <laughs> you're everybody's yeah, in the army right the system fucking the system but by Why doing it by mm-hmm. by just by by just like saying i'm not going to do this uh, <laughs> I, I refuse <laughs> i'm going to sit here at my not at my desk i'm going to sit here out on the beach uh because this is the way and also them being manipulated like but like, I, how did you come to pick that one? Um, I I just basically I thought I know some public domain Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. and I wanted to kind of uh, do some uh, SF on the show as well, and just broaden its remit a bit. And um, that one, yeah, I just really liked. And I thought, at the start of spring, it was the perfect story. <laughs> it is the perfect story, and it's it's weird because it's, it's also a-, a good way in for Dick. I think for people who aren't. Oh, yeah, because there is kind of that pipe in the woods sounds a bit Lovecraftian, and it's kind of it is. There, what the hell are the pipers, yo? It's a mackin, absolutely. Mm. Have you read this one, mm. Connor? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I read you the the intro. You should listen to Mister Jim Moon's sh- uh, reading. It's really good. I don't know who we got for the audiobook on mine, but I should have got Mister Jim Moon to do it. It's so good. <laughs> um, uh, which podcast was that on? Uh, uh, Hypnagoria. Um, which just was, on, yep, yeah. I'm not sure uh, which. Go ahead. I'm not sure which. Mr. Jim Moon will know. Hopefully, <laughs> I, I have three podcasts. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I was wondering whether it's like the Great Library of Dreams or yeah, it's the, like the Great Library of Dreams podcast. That's what I did like a month ago. Dreams now, maybe. Uh, cool. Was that mm. a month ago or something like that? Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Twentieth of March. Then. Yeah, so, and yeah, you, you did a really nice musical a stinger and a um, intro, but the the reading was really good. But um, I was Thanks. like, really dig it. Um, so it says Earth maintained an important garrison on asteroid Y three. Now suddenly it was imperiled with a biological impossibility: men becoming plants. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. <laughs> it's just really weird. It doesn't tell you what it is, right? And uh that's why I like it. It it isn't so 
and that naked lady sort of shows up, which is nice. But, yeah, that's not quite how she's described in the uh, in the story. Golden skinned or whatever. Bad time I'd have drawn something, but I didn't, unfortunately. So I went with the original it's, <laughs> the it's, illustration. It's nice enough. Cover art. Nice enough. Mm. Um, cool. I need to check it out. Yeah. Um, I might also have to go to uh, sleep. What? <laughs> it's only five o'clock <laughs> in the morning, dude. It's uh, it's th- it's three thirty, so um, I don't have to do anything tomorrow. But, um, but yeah, I'm gonna head off anyway. And, Thank uh, you very much. I collapse. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Connor. Appreciate yeah, it. So I've got to go as well. My tea's right. cooking. I can smell it. And my my bladder's full, so I think we're done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you on Twitter. Okay. Indeed. Bye bye. Bye. See you later.